0: chapter 1, and uh, I'll begin reading in 1, I'll read through verse 14, and then we'll begin our text together. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Except for last month, when Ben stood in for me, Uh, since December, we have been working our way through the prologue to John's Gospel. This is an introduction, and it, it presents Christ, and it introduces us to John, a forerunner, uh, a witness to the Christ, and, and it introduces uh, those who are born of God. Today in the text, in verses 1 through 5, we have been concerned with introducing, uh, John is in, uh, introducing the readers to the Logos, And from the text, we have come to see the following realities. Jesus was in the beginning because he existed before the beginning. The beginning, as we know it, began with Jesus who preexisted that beginning. Jesus was with the Father. Uh, He is God. He is divine. He is eternal. He is one with the Father. We talked about that. Jesus is the instrument of creation, all that we know and see and experience, uh, the world around us, uh, God created, Jesus created, uh, or God created through his son. Jesus is life and light. Jesus shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The RSV reads, the darkness did not apprehend it. The King James says and reads, the darkness did not comprehend it for what fellowship has light with darkness actually jesus overcame the darkness as we know but now we come to verse six and through eight in an introduction of john the baptizer i may refer to him not just for simplicity as jb john the baptizer to distinguish him from the writer of this book j e., john the evangelist i may do that i may not i get i get confused John the Evangelist will pick up J.B. again in verse 15 and again in verses 19 through 34 when he continues in the historical narrative where J.B.'s mission will be developed more fully. The other Gospels give us much more detail about J.B.'s birth, his ministry, and his death. But here we're concerned with these verses. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Let me try to break this down in pieces. We try to read it with emphasis to distinguish the different parts. And if I were teaching this in a class and we were sitting back in what we call the map room, I would ask you these questions and uh, ask you What do we know? What facts do we know from these verses? But let's take a look. First, we see the facts that we learn from this text. that There was a man, not an angel, uh, but a man. And of course, we know from, uh, I think it was uh, back in December, maybe, when we were looking at Luke, that Ben introduces to Zacharias and the birth of of, of this son, a miraculous birth, because the parents were overage to have children. But this man, not an angel, but this man, the second fact is he was sent from God. And when I read this, he was sent by God on a mission, but actually in his birth, he was sent from God. Uh, God did a supernatural work in the, in the procreation of John the baptizer. The word, uh, for what it's worth, the word, uh, Greek word there is apostello. I assume that's the word we, uh, from where we get the word apostle, but it's simply he was sent, he was commissioned. God had a purpose and a plan for bringing him into the world and for using him to further his purposes. His name was John, and again, you, you can look to the other Gospels to see why he, he has that name. Luke tells us of his uh, birth, his naming, his, his naming. And my point is to emphasize when J.E. tells us that he was sent from God, truly, he was from God. Now, before we continue with his commission, I would like to interject something I read recently, not recently recently, but fairly recently. In the book, The Wonderful Works of God, the Dutch theologian Herman Badnik, did I get it right? No, okay. Yeah. I worked on it all weekend to pronounce his name right, but by me, it's still not right. Okay, it's not important. He wrote a book entitled uh, The Wonderful Works of God, and in his chapter entitled uh, The Mediator of the Covenant, he writes this. This is the first paragraph, how he introduces this chapter. The Council of redemption is not a human enterprise whose carrying out depends upon all kinds of unforeseen circumstances and is therefore highly uncertain. It is a counsel which is carried out with absolute certainty because it is the decision of God's gracious and almighty will. As it was fixed in eternity, so it will be carried out we might add is is being carried out in time all that the doctrine of faith has still to treat therefore is the way in which the immutable counsel of the lord concerning the salvation of his humankind is implemented and applied and since that counsel was concerned mainly with three big issues namely the mediator that's Jesus. That's the Logos to whom we've been introduced. <clears throat> the mediator by whom salvation had, and I, he doesn't have an emphasis about, had to be earned. Um, the Holy Spirit by whom it had to be applied. And the people to whom it had to be given. Now, this is not a doctrine, the Council of Redemption or the Covenant of Redemption. We we have a tendency to look forward to eternity, and and, and that's a wonderful thing to look at. But we would not look towards eternity with certainty if we didn't look back to eternity to see what God had purposed and planned in the Council of Redemption. He has carried out, he is carrying out in space and time. You may be asking yourself uh, why I chose to include this in today's sermon, and it's very personal. And even if you're not wondering, I'll tell you. When I read this paragraph, I was overwhelmed with doxology at the absolute certainty of the will and the power of God to bring about my redemption, our redemption. Though it did not elicit any new ideas or thoughts, it did bring to mind in a powerful way the many truths that I have heard preached and taught over the years. It stimulated joy and peace in knowing that all God has purposed and promised, he will do. He continues and identifies, and I'll uh, go over these again. Namely, uh, we're concerned with the mediator by whom salvation had to be earned, the Holy Spirit, by whom it had to be applied, and the people to whom it had to be given. In the first five chapters, it deals with the mediator, the word. After Sunday school and talking about the word and being truthful to the word, I I walk on with fear and trembling at what I'm about to say, but I I hope I can prove it to you. I would suggest to you that in verses 6 and 8, we are introduced to the Holy Spirit by whom salvation is applied. Mind you, there's no reference at all to the Holy Spirit in these three verses, but the Holy Spirit works through ordinary means. He works through a man. He works through the man, John. He works through the man that God sent, that God formed in Elizabeth's womb. And he did it for a purpose, to give witness to Jesus. As I said, this might seem a stretch, but bear with me at least, with these texts that speak to witnessing. Later in the gospel, Jesus speaking to his disciples says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Holy Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And in the book of Acts, when the disciples were concerned uh, just before Jesus' ascension and they were concerned and they asked the question, are you going to establish your kingdom now? He answers it this way. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria into the ends of the earth. And again, the apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians uh, in his letter, and he says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come preaching to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Several facts, pieces that we will put together. We said that John was sent. We said that he was sent as a witness with a specific task of witnessing to the light. Not only was he to have a specific witness, but the witness was for a specific purpose it was that people might believe in these words and they might believe in Christ namely that they might believe through him or as we've said in our in the babic text got it right the t- Bobbing text the holy spirit to whom by whom it was to be applied Everything for our salvation was accomplished on the cross in the death, in the burial, in the resurrection by our Lord Jesus Christ. But the Holy Spirit has and is and will continue until Christ comes back to apply that justification, that redemption to those he calls in. Again, the Council of Redemption is not a human enterprise whose carrying out depends on all kinds of unforeseen circumstances. John was not an unforeseen circumstance. He's going to explain that when they ask him who he is later, we'll see. He gives clear evidence from Scripture who he is and what his mission was to be. So, if it was dependent upon human just look around us what we've accomplished in this world. Many Glorious things by God's common grace but oh what a mess we can make of those things after we've accomplished them what would we do if salvation and redemption was dependent upon us it would have failed from the start but it is a counsel which is carried out with absolute certainty because it is the decision of God's gracious and almighty will It is God who determines, it's God who purposes, and by his almighty will he is able to accomplish these things. So it was fixed in eternity and is now being carried out in time. Keep in mind that not only did the Old Testament promise of the coming of the Christ, was it foretold, but it was promised that a witness would come, a forerunner would come to announce and proclaim the Christ's arrival. Now in John's day, much like our own, there was a plethora of voices screaming to be heard, each claiming to be not just another light, but the light, the source of truth. John made no such claims for himself, even though he had a great following and many disciples. He was not in competition with the light, but knew that the reason for his very existence was to point to the light. He was faithful in his ministry, and he was faithful in his death. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Now listen to the contrast between John and the light to which he uh, came to bear witness. Jesus was from all eternity while John came. John was sent. Jesus is the word while John is just a mere man. Jesus is is himself God while John is commissioned by God. Jesus is the real light while John came to testify concerning that light. Jesus is the object of trust while John is a human agent through whose testimony men come to trust in that real light the true light returning to our text the true life which gives light to everyone was coming into the world there are several interpretations about this what this verse means and i've consulted numerous commentaries and i've settled on this because uh, i'm i don't have the intelligence to come up with something on my own the light of which john speaks is the life Of God in Christ. And therefore, Christ Himself, made manifest into the world by the preaching of the gospel. And I've got verses that I think support this. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. 2 Corinthians 4 6, where God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.15, speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And again, in Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. I believe that the world he's speaking of here is the world of mankind created in Adam. And the general condition was not of ignorance about who he was, but it was a heart condition. We, we talked about this in Sunday school, how men can see a miracle, a, admit an, a miracle, and yet try to suppress the witnesses to that miracle because they don't want people to believe in God. At The resurrection of Lazarus. They, <laughs> Lazarus was raised from the dead. He was walking and talking, a demonstration of the power of Jesus, and yet they wanted to kill him and to kill Jesus to prevent people from believing. Two texts came to mind as I think that are applicable here, and we talked about one of them in Sunday school this morning. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They would extinguish it. They would put it out. They would murder to keep it from spreading. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world into things that have been made. We talked about uh, natural revelation and providence this morning versus special revelation. So that they are without excuse. For although they knew God or knew about God, I'm not trying to add to scripture, but there's a difference in knowing and knowing, right? We know that, that there's an intimate Knowing of a person, that's the Old Testament word for uh, your God, to, to know Adam knew his wife. That goes beyond, it. oh, I, I know about these things. No, he knew there was an intimate knowledge, and I think that that's what we as believers are growing in. For all they knew, although they knew God, they did not, and here it is, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile vain in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. John 17, 3 we read, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Oh, well, how tragic if we were to stop here with the world not knowing and not receiving. But as you know, it doesn't end here. For we read, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's the title of our sermon in the bulletin, but of God. Don't you just love that word, but, (laughs) in certain places? For instance, in Ephesians chapter two, he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now is at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The language here is one of resurrection. In John, it's one of birth, of regeneration. But later on, he says, um, further down, he says, remembering, he's talking to the church at Ephesus, remembering that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise having no hope and without God in the world. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So we have this comparison on the word level. They did not know, they did not receive, dead in trespasses and sin, children of wrath, separated, alienated, having no hope without God in the world. At first blush, there seems to be a difference because in Ephesians it says, but God, but in Christ Jesus, but when we read this text, it says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. It seems as if the actions of those receiving and believing uh, garnered a response of God that it was an independent work. But he, 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 he nixes that in this next verse. He says, uh, where he talks about, it's not of blood. This is a physical descent for those Jews who were depending on their relationship with Abraham, their connection. Abraham is our father, they told Jesus. And God, he said, no, you're your father, the devil, because you want to kill me. You're not like Abraham. Nor is it the will of the flesh, we're not going to talk just about, the, well, the flesh here. It's <laughs> about the flesh, like carnal desires. But it's a physical thing, uh, just like the first thing is a physical thing, nor of the will of man. And the commentators tell me it's the procreative urge of a male. So it's not a birth. This birth here is not physical that he's talking about. But he's talking about a spiritual. So they're not born of these physical things, but they're born of God. And Jesus will explain that to Nicodemus, who was a teacher of the Jews. And he should have known these things. But it's the work and the application of the Holy Spirit in regeneration that he's speaking here. And because of that, because of the work of the Holy Spirit, because it's a birth by God, Men believe, some men believe, and some men receive. One last time. The council of redemption is not a human enterprise whose carrying out depends upon all kinds of unforeseen circumstances and is therefore highly uncertain. It is a council which is carried out with absolute certainty because it is the decision of God's gracious and almighty will. As it was fixed in eternity, so it will be carried out in time. The Father sent the Son to redeem his people. The Son has accomplished redemption. The Spirit is now, has and is now, applying that work to individuals, as he calls them, to faith. And all the benefits of those all of the benefits of Christ are being applied to us, even as Ben said last week. We enjoy them now. We don't have to push our life in Christ off to some future. We can enjoy the benefits of Christ now. And so I would challenge you this morning as you think about the certainty of God's work in eternity past as it's being carried out today, that we would see by the aid of the Holy Spirit that he's worthy to be trusted. We should find peace in this God. We should find joy in this God, and we should worship this God. Our gracious God and Father, I pray that you would seal these things up in our heart, those things which are of error, that you would remove from our minds, and that as we began uh, today, that we might have our minds and our hearts fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that he indeed would be our vision. We ask these things to the praise of your glory in Jesus' name. I'll ask you